You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our featured scripture this week speaks of being a well-watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. Baptismal waters continue to feed the streams of justice as we allow the Holy Spirit to work within us every time we set our hands and feet to the work. As we set ourselves to do the work God has for us to do. We must remember that as long as there are those who are hurting, hungry, excluded, oppressed, we're called to be faithful disciples, setting a table and inviting all to our feast. So let us have a prayer of illumination as we prepare to hear the word of God. Let's raise our voices in our prayer to hear God's word and to take it into our heart. Our scripture today is from Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 12. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? when you see naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own ken. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator will go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help. And he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you will be like a watered garden, spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in, the word of God for the people of God, Thanks be to God. Each week during our Lenten service, we've been reciting a prayer poem written by Bishop Miller. This week's prayer poem is called Righteousness. God of righteousness, may I fully embrace the truth that your holy word names as evil, all forms of injustice and oppression. May I have the courage to confront the injustices I witness. 
May I be willing to open my mind and broaden my understanding of discriminatory practices and positions of which I was once ignorant. May I not stand idly by when another culture or language or race is used as the punchline of a ill-fated joke. May I speak out against systemic policies and practices that continue the oppressive privilege of the powerful over against the less powerful. May I live my faith by believing that the common good is served when all have enough and that in your economy, there's always enough for everyone. But righteous God, before I endeavor to do any of these things, may I find the courage to confront the evil and injustice that resides within me. Amen. Our theme this Sunday is God has work for us to do, faithful disciples. I confess I didn't want to look forward to this theme. And that's because I've always had a problem with the word disciple. And especially when I joined the Methodist Church and found out that the mission of the Methodist Church is to, quote, make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, close quote. Now, I shouldn't have been too surprised by this because it's exactly what Christ has told us to do. More precisely, as Matthew's gospel records it, Christ says at the end of his time with us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is called the Great Commission. We're commissioned to go out and make disciples. My problem has been exactly how do you make a disciple? How do I make a disciple? It always seemed to me that a disciple, a follower, is one who comes to that title by choice, not by force, not by being made to be a disciple. Make disciples. That, that distinction, by the way, was lost on the colonists, especially those from Spain and England, who believed that by merely baptizing the indigenous people, they were doing the Lord's work, no matter what else they did to those people. The result was the utter devastation of the indigenous people on this side of the Atlantic. Forced conversion, by the way, was not limited to the early colonists and conquistadors of the 1500s and 1600s. Well, into the 20th century, the United States Bureau of Indian Affairs had as its policy the acculturization of American native tribes. This policy was done by taking children physically forcing them into tribal schools. Some of those schools were run by Methodists. Some were run by other religious organizations and some by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And those schools had a particular purpose, which was to strip those children of their native language and dress and culture. You see, this was to make good Christians out of them. And with that, to make them a civilized people. The impact on our indigenous people was disastrous. And it's taken many, many years to even try to recover from that. This story of colonizing and using Christianity to do the dirty work isn't just our history. It was played out throughout North and South America, as well as Australia, 
and throughout Southeast Asia and Africa. It's not our story alone, but it is part of our history. And it's left a terrible mark that we as Christians have to deal with. Whether or not our forebears, forebears actively participated in this outrage. It's our responsibility to deal with this history. Now, there are those who say, wait a minute, I wasn't responsible. I wasn't even here. Indeed, my family, my people, um, most of them came over in the late, late 1800s and early 1900s. But that's not the point. You see, we as Christians have to deal with it on two levels. First, if we want to spread the gospel, if we want to spread discipleship, we have to confront the fact that the gospel spreading and discipleship of the past has turned off a lot of people. And we have to deal with that. The other reason is that we have to deal with the world's hurt. It doesn't matter, for example, whether or not you cause an accident. If you saw somebody who needed help, you go and help them. And the people who've been burned by the church, particularly by its history of justifying enslavement of people or the destruction of cultures, we have to deal with that. So I have a problem with this whole making disciples thing because it comes with a lot of that baggage. But there is this great commission. Go, Christ says, and make disciples. So how can I do what Christ commands me to do and not buy into what has been an ugly, coercive history? And I get some help from the translations from the original Greek that tell us that a disciple is one, as I told the children, is one who's learned from a master. As a disciple is a follower. So we can read Christ as saying, Go, therefore, instruct all the nations. Indeed, there's some translations that do exactly that when it comes to interpreting, deciphering from the Greek, the Great Commission. Well, that helps some, but exactly how am I supposed to make someone or instruct someone to be a Christ follower? How do I do? How can I do? I'm making a disciple. How do I make a disciple? How can I do that? How can you do that? When disciples are supposed to take on the world, we're supposed to do some really hard stuff. Like we've been hearing throughout our Lenten worship, we as Christians, as disciples ourselves, have work to do. Serious work, hard work. Feeding the hungry, freeing the wrongfully imprisoned, clothing the naked, sheltering the poor, bringing righteousness and justice into an unrighteous and unjust world? The list is endless. And I don't know about you, but there are days I just don't feel like I'm equipped emotionally, physically, financially, or spiritually to do that sort of work. It's then I have to remember that the first and maybe only disciple that I can really make is myself. It's then that I go to God with myself. You see, to make a disciple, to instruct someone, means that they'll be changed. To make myself into a disciple means I have to be willing to change. I can't change you. I can't change many of the things in the world. I can change me. And we have a word for that 
for changing oneself. It's called repentance. Yeah, I think too often we get stuck on repentance as being sorry for doing something bad. For Repentance is, okay, I committed a sin, and now I ask forgiveness for that sin. Um, deriding somebody, anger, infidelity, maybe just being mean. So it's a sin and we ask forgiveness and that's our repentance, but repentance isn't so limited. It's not just tied up with sin. Yeah, we do a bad thing. We repent, ask forgiveness. God forgives us, off we go. But there's a lot more. To repent means to turn around, to change drastically. The, the idea is to change who we are how we approach the world so that we don't sin. Instead, with repentance, we, we learn to act differently. To repent means that we change how we see ourselves and how we see the world, how we see each other, and how we fit with each other and into the world. It means we learn how to change our relationship with ourselves, with God, with each other, with the world we live in. And it means that in doing that, we learn how to be present, present to ourselves and to God and to each other. And that takes practice and work and intention. Quick story, my own experience in learning this lesson of presence, it's not always an easy lesson to learn. Some years ago, one of my brothers was in a hospital emergency room. My wife, Marcia and I were both there with him and we were there to comfort him. And as we were there and being there and comforting him, um, suddenly I heard Marcia say, John, pay attention. What I had been doing was while standing near Chris's bed, I had turned myself and was watching the TV that was in the emergency room. Those of you who've had to be in emergency rooms know they've got a TV in there. Instead of being with him, I was watching the TV. That's not being present. It was not being present to my brother or to Marcia. Being present takes intentionality, it takes being there, being aware, being willing to be aware. We can't feed the hungry or tend to the sick and the broken if we don't teach ourselves how to see the hungry how to see the sick and the broken, to see them as children of God made in God's image, to see them so that we can step in and be present for them. Now, it's really important to understand that we are all, as disciples, works in progress. There's days I'm a disciple, a follower, and there are days, quite bluntly, I'm not. We're not finished products. Our baptism was only the first installment on a journey of change. It was only a start. So here's the question. Are you willing to become what our scripture today says, a well-watered garden like a spring of water that won't run dry? To the people of the Hebrew Bible, water was so important because they lived in a desert land in a parched land. Come to think of it, water is pretty important today to people too. Certainly important now in our South 
Western states that are undergoing a huge drought. It was important to the folks in Texas who've had a had a huge drought that was so bad some years ago, they were actually beginning to lose some of their uh, infrastructures. A well-watered garden like a spring of water that won't run dry gives life. And can we do that for other people like today's scripture tells us? Now, if so, if you're willing to do that, are you willing to pray and work to as our poem said, open your mind and broaden your understanding. Doing that is not going to be easy. You repent, you truly repent. I, to do that, you and I must be prepared to be patient with ourselves and to be humbled by the process. You and I are going to have to be ready to unlearn things and to be challenged by new things. You know that saying, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable? To be disciples, to learn how to be present, to make disciples of ourselves first. We must be ready to be disturbed. So let's go and disturb ourselves. Amen.